Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Get it turned on here. Give me the button off. Nancy Brown is firing up the DVD player in her living room in Chico, California. Here we go. I haven't seen this now at least for a year, maybe a couple of years. So it's each time I see something different. <laughs> this was taken in December 1996. In the video, six or seven people are hanging out in a big happy mess of Christmas lights and presents. Carols are on the radio. So they're in the kitchen, but they're near the front door. And they're all gathering around to open the door to welcome back my son, David. He's being warmly embraced. It's basic family home movie stuff. <laughs> this is a fun part. You see them, the cooks in the kitchen. Quite a feast they're making here. But the people David's cooking with, they're not his family. Not officially. Lots of hugs all around. In fact, Nancy and David's brothers and the rest of David's family, they weren't in the room that day. They weren't welcome. It's fun to see how they celebrated the holiday. They really did. So you see them, you know, not as cultists, you know, but enjoying each other as people. And I'm glad to know that he had these things in his life. Because I know that, that he was loved and that he loved others. And so what more can you wish for your children, you know, that they be loved and have others that they love? That's, that's so important to me. Four months later, everybody in the video, including David, would be dead. Topic of news at 11 is a story that's making news across the nation and across the world. Coroner's officials have stopped in the street. They are talking to members of the media, several dozen of them now gathered outside the van's uh, door, trying to get word, any detail at all, on this story. On March 26, 1997, police and first responders rushed to the San Diego mansion where the bodies were found. And they thought they were all men. You're looking at the site where 39 young men have been found dead. Men believed to be in a religious Because they all had the same haircuts and their outfits. They wore 39 matching black homemade uniforms, 39 identical pairs of black decade edition Nikes. In fact, slightly more than half the dead were women. Investigators suspect suicide because they saw no obvious signs of struggle. If there are 39 bodies in there, and possibly more, they're going to have to make sure that nobody was murdered to determine that actually everybody did commit suicide and how that happened. It was just awful, and it would have been unwatchable if the sadness weren't punctuated by so much weird. Sheriff, they all had IDs? Yes, they had a little suitcase with them that uh, uh, had some things in it like they were going away. One or two $5 bills and some quarters. We do not know why. It appears that they ingested uh, phenobarbital and a uh, liquor uh, as vodka in a solution. And uh, they just uh, drunk it, laid down, and basically went to sleep. It turns out they drank the poison in shifts. Over several days, 15 killed themselves in the first wave, 
15 in the next, and nine in the last. When one person lay down to die, another lay a bright purple shroud over their face and torso. The last two to go had no one left to lay the shrouds for them. The occupants, it was said, seemed to belong to some kind of cult. They didn't smoke, didn't drink. They were celibate. Uh, They believed they were uh, sent uh, to Earth as angels. They didn't just leave notes behind to say why they did it. No. In fact, they went a step further. They filmed themselves. Two videos taped by the 39 victims showed them saying goodbye and even citing several saying their bodies will be taken away by UFOs. I just want to let everyone know how lucky and happy I feel to be here and let you know that what we're about to do is certainly nothing to think negatively about. The group we're talking about here we know is a group called Heaven's Gate. I'm Glenn Washington, and this is Heaven's Gate, Episode 1, The Seekers. I'll tell you who I am. T and Doe, whatever they want to call us. Whether or not you believe is up to you, you, you. We all have to deal with demons. We're trying to teach you how to prepare yourself. You are members of the next level. The next level. Over the next 10 episodes, we're going to try to understand what happened inside Heaven's Gate. What made this community this group who for 20 years loved each other and revered life, what led them to commit the largest mass suicide in American history? Were they brainwashed? Did they go crazy? What twisted? What turned? And who were these people? On the one hand, Heaven's Gate were followers who disciplined their bodies and minds like monks to perfect themselves to please their Jesus and God the Father, to transcend the burdens of earthly life. They believed they would go live forever in the stars. And on the other hand, these people, these normal people, they were the same warm, caring group of people Nancy Brown watches every Christmas. (laughs) He's got something all over his fingers from, oh, it's chocolate, oh my gosh. Doesn't that look good? They were curious, smart, accomplished, former pilots and housewives and students, computer programmers and nurses, mothers, fathers, sons and daughters. We know that we broke hearts. We know that we hurt people. We didn't want to hurt anyone. They had senses of humor. And one last thing we'd like to say is, 39 to beam up. Thank you. (laughs) Some... They may even have had doubts at the end. I just felt that conflict of, I'm scared shitless, but I'm going to do this anyway because I don't know what else to do. And it's so important for you to know that suicide was never part of the original plan. But I remember telling people, you know, I'm not going to die. 
what we're looking at are coroner's officials, scientific investigators, outside the gates of this exclusive home here in Rancho Santa Fe. Those helicopters and body bags and purple shrouds in 97, that was the end of a journey. One that started out very differently two and a half decades earlier in 1972. It was a journey that started with two people and grew to include several hundred. But almost all of those followers fell away from the group before the end. Heaven's Gate believers crossed America multiple times, sometimes camping in small towns and state parks or building temporary shelters in a desert. Other times, renting houses and apartments and taking day jobs. That San Diego mansion where the dead were found, that was a rental. Sometimes Heaven's Gate recruited others to join them, and more often, for years at a time, they kept to themselves and tried to follow the spiritual disciplines that they thought would perfect their bodies and their minds. It can be hard to know what the 39 members of Heaven's Gate were thinking. How can you? Well, you start by finding number 40 and number 41 and number 42. That's just one That's, little, right. oh. that's one of my pieces. I can jam on that for half an hour, you know. This is Sawyer. That's a name he took inside Heaven's Gate, not his real name. We'll get to the group names another time. It's a whole thing. Even before Heaven's Gate, Sawyer says he had always been looking for something more. In the early 70s, he was living in a small commune in a teepee made of logs that he built himself. Because when I was seeking, you know, like dancing with the Sufis and going to meditations where people would say they were seeing lights in the, in the room and I would be falling asleep, you know. I was reading the Bhagavad Gita and so nothing really made sense to me 100%. That vibe, that nothing made sense, there's got to be something else, it comes up a lot. Frank Lyford had that feeling too. He was a Heaven's Gate member for 20 years. He's a handsome guy with a gentle face. Back then, he was a long-haired, motorcycle-riding dude, more hippie than Hell's Angel. I remember growing up when I would look out across the landscape or experience the, the world around me. Even as a child, it seemed like there's got to be something more than this. This seems so flat and dingy almost. What I was like when I joined the group, I had uh, just come out of high school. I think I was 18 or 19. This is Teo Alhizes. He's a dancer now. And back then, he was trying to figure out what he was. I was uh, experimenting with psychedelic drugs, you know, looking at altered states of consciousness. And I was interested in that. I was interested in philosophy and religion. And I was also extremely interested in, in UFOs and extraterrestrial life and, and had been for quite some time. Okay, yes, UFOs. Everybody who joined Heaven's Gate wound up believing that aliens had contacted Earth and they were coming back. But understand, if you survey Americans in general, half of us will agree we think aliens exist. I was all about that. And I had a, uh, an experience of my own with an unexplained sighting in the sky. A friend and myself were uh, in the hills above Los Gatos, and we saw a mysterious light in the sky. 
very close in, and we felt like we had an encounter. And it, it was a, a bright light that shone on us. And at that point, I became, I was already very intrigued and wanting to make contact with what I believed were, you know, aliens among us or extraterrestrial beings that were interacting with humans. And so that spurred me, and I was just, I remember, you know, like, standing out in my backyard. I was living in, in the Los Gatos foothills at the time, just like looking up at the sky, you know, asking for, for contact, for connection. Well, it was a real impulsive thing. This is Leslie Light. She also joined in the early days. Back then, she was less focused on the galaxies and mysterious encounters and more on her inner life. I was um, reading a lot of these very esoteric metaphysical books, and I think in retrospect I was trying to be like a renunciate, like I was struggling with my attachments to things because that's what the theme of a lot of these metaphysical books were, is you know not to get caught up in attachment and desires. At least that's how I was interpreting a lot of the things I was reading. So in retrospect, I think I, you know, I was young and looking for seeking truth and... I was also struggling with just trying to find my place in the world. That's how these things start, with people with an openness for more, and the space in their lives and their heads and their hearts for something different. Unlike the 39 members of Heaven's Gate who died, Thale and Sawyer and Frank and Leslie, they got out. But... They're not all happy about it. That thing, the thing that drew them into Heaven's Gate, the attraction, it's still there. I'll explain in just a moment. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. back on Heaven's Gate is just getting started. Heaven's Gate was never exactly mainstream, but it wasn't as alternative as we think about it today. So you have to imagine what it was like in, in the 70s when they were forming. Benjamin Zeller is a professor of religion at Lake Forest College. He's also a pretty serious Trekkie and sci-fi fan. That will become more important the more you understand about Heaven's Gate. We love Ben Zeller because no one knows more about the group and Zeller's book on Heaven's Gate talks not just about the people and their beliefs, but the American culture they were born into. So in the 1970s, this is so much closer to the birth of, of ufology and belief in extraterrestrials and extraterrestrial visitation and flying saucers. Ideas that seem 
far-fetched and out there now. They were a lot more popular 40 years ago. One of the best-selling books at the time was a book called Chariots of the Gods uh, by Eric von Daniken, who claimed in this book that he had evidence that the world's ancient religions were actually founded by extraterrestrial visitors who passed themselves off as gods because that's how the ancients could understand them. This is one of the best sellers in the 1970s. People gobbled this up. The other best seller, which we forget about, is Hale Lindsay's The Late Great Planet Earth, which is about the end of the world, and it's an interpretation of the Bible. Lindsay goes through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, foretelling the end of the world. Heaven's Gate is these two bestsellers put together. It's Chariots of the Gods and Late Great Planet Earth combined. It's the Christianity of the end of the world, and it's the ufology of looking to ancient astronauts and, and, and ancient aliens and putting them together, and that's Heaven's Gate. And that's why when people encountered Heaven's Gate way back in the 70s, people didn't say, whoa, this is weird. They said, well, this is what I've been looking for. This is Leslie Light again, who joined in 1975. The way I found out about it was just my roommate said that there was this flyer that was put out at Kenyatta College, which was a, a community college, maybe like 20 miles or 30 miles in Redwood City. I, I can't remember the exact town, but it was close to where I lived. And it was just an impulse and a fling to go, you know, I never heard of the people. I wasn't looking to go to any anything. And I just guess I just uh, went. Frank Lyford has a similar story. I lived in Calgary at that point, and I had a girlfriend. Her name was Erica. She just had a really pretty smile and nice dimples and uh, pretty blue eyes and blonde hair, and I was smitten. We were contemplating moving in together. We had been together for about three years, but before we moved in, we wanted to go on a vacation. So we decided we would go out west to Vancouver and then head south from there to visit my cousin, David Van Sindren, in, in Oregon. He mentioned that he had seen a poster that intrigued him. Well, it's a poster that has big letters that said uh, UFOs. Who are they? Where did they come from? And when will they leave? This is Sawyer. Again, his group name. So when I read that, the things that stuck out to me was give you a total energy to it. And that had something to do with people from outer space. And so I was curious. I remember saying to my girlfriend, I wonder what these people are going to look like. And remember, you're just going to a meeting, not a big deal. No commitment, no signing away your life at the door. Just some new ideas, maybe something to hang on to. You see the poster, you say, sure. Why not? I'll check it out. Maybe you even go as kind of a goof with a friend. And the meeting is in a church basement or a park. The table set up with wheat coffee and cookies from the supermarket. At the front of the room, you see two people. They're calm and confident. Bo and Peep were at the front, sitting at a table, holding court. Bo and Peep. That's what they call themselves. They also call themselves Tea and Doe as in do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, but sometimes they just call themselves the two. 
And again, I promise we'll get to that naming thing another time. But in reality, they're Marshall Herve Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles. They're the ones who started this whole thing, and they've come to your town to preach a very particular gospel. I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about these two and how they started and how their vision of salvation and eternal life changed over time. But their pitch in the beginning, in a nutshell. They said, we are here from outer space. We are the two. We have come to this planet because we have a special message for you, for humanity right now. Now is the time. Only once every 2,000 years does the next level, the next level is outer space, it's, it's heaven. Only once every 2,000 years does the next level open its door, open its gate and allow you to come in. And now is the time we have been sent here from the next level to say you have this opportunity to get on the UFO and go to the next level right now. If you don't do it now, you're gonna have to wait 2,000 years. Uh, because they believe in reincarnation, you'll have a chance again. But you don't wanna wait 2,000 years. Listen to us now and get on the UFO. That's what they're offering. Everything else you've tried has been good, but they have the way, the path off the mountain. You've gotten up the mountain, but they have the path off the mountain. And here's what it is. You don't have to die. Grave, not path to heaven. I'm looking here at a transcript from one of their meetings. Grave, not path to heaven is what they said. This is maybe the biggest, most exciting promise they made. You don't have to die to go to heaven. All you have to do is listen to what they say, follow the process that they teach, and you will get onto a UFO and sail into outer space and get into heaven in bodily form. It's a mashup of the Bible and sci-fi and self-improvement. And yeah, most people, they kind of scratch their heads and maybe ease on out of the back of the room. But for others, this message, it contains everything. It's all of the self-improvement books and trance music and meta-science and spiritual adventure they're seeking. It's all wrapped into one. It's magical. And T and Doe, they're magical. During the meeting, I was noticing that a haze in the room. And it was around the stage. And if I didn't know better, I would have said maybe it was like smoke or something, you know. It's a, But it, it had like the shimmering nature to it. And, when this happened, it was like, whoa. And I felt like my life passed before me. Like they talk about when people die, it's like I have a near-death experience, like their life goes before them, you know. And it's like everything I, I did before that felt like it had a purpose that I was in the right place at this point for me. I just took it all in and, and knew that this was what I wanted to do. They just happened to say a lot of the things that I had been thinking about and wondering if I needed to do take a, a, a more a definitive step. You know, you know, instead of just thinking about it, like it was an opportunity to actually actualize some beliefs that I was beginning to formulate and thought, well, you know, maybe this would be a good experience to see if I was really sincere about going on this path. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? I'll find out if I really want to you know, continue in this direction, 
or not. And so it seemed like a choice point. And, and I am an impulsive person, and I wasn't that invested in, you know, typical external things because I was detaching from things. It just clicked with me because I remember one of the books I was reading was called God Drives a Flying Saucer. And it, it made all the connections with the, the Bible and and flying saucers or UFOs, including the, the vision of Ezekiel, which many people interpret was probably um, an extraterrestrial craft. Their message really was sort of an answer to a lot of the questions I had, and it just made sense. And I was really ready to walk out the door of my life at that point. Eric and I both were working and not sure of what the direction of our lives would be. We didn't know where where we were going next. We just knew we wanted to live together. And then when this new experience fell in our laps, you know, we saw it kind of as an adventure. We would be traveling. We would be learning new things. So it was just really intrigued us, pulled at us. Pulled. They're being pulled away. And what they're being pulled from, what they're leaving behind, for them, it just doesn't seem all that great. There's got to be something more than this. Looking up at the sky, you know, asking for, for contact, for connection. So nothing really made sense to me 100%. I was also struggling with just trying to find my place in the world. Now, forget about the UFOs and the space and all of that stuff for a second. Forget about what it would become 20 years later. Right now, in 1975, this is not a cult yet. It's a group. The name Heaven's Gate, it doesn't even exist yet. Suicide, it's not even on the table. In fact, it's just the opposite. They're talking about living forever. This is about life. It's positive, it's exciting, and it has all of these possibilities that are so much better than the other options out there. And if you kind of squint at it for a moment, maybe you can see how you might have been drawn into it too. And if you don't think it could have happened to you, I'm here to tell you that it could have. It could have happened to anyone. And I know, because something very similar happened to me. More on that right after the break. back and I have to tell you 
I first heard of what happened to Heaven's Gate at a bar, a fancy bar, watching a television screen with a bunch of people I didn't know. And for a moment, everyone froze watching this disjointed newscast about people who had conspired to end their lives together with the tracksuits and the patches and the comet, all of this stuff. But after a few moments, the other people in the bar, they started moving again, started shaking their heads, talking about the crazies. But I couldn't move. It didn't seem so other to me. Instead, I kept staring at that TV, wondering if I knew anyone who perished in that house because I had a secret. See, I grew up with a group that preached the end of days was nigh, that the world would soon be destroyed in a fiery cataclysm, that the return of Jesus was imminent, that if you think we're going to make it through the 1980s, well, you got another thing coming. We did make it through the 1980s, but our survival, it only increased our fear and our certainty that Jesus' return would happen soon. Our leader, our apostle, Herbert W. Armstrong, he promised us. And they shall see, now notice they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He gave us secrets of the Bible that no one else had understood in 2,000 years, didn't he? The Lord chose us, chose me to receive this message. We were special. I was special. And we prepared for the end time. Some of us, we took to wearing our shoes to bed at night so we would be ready for Christ's return. It could happen any moment, any moment. I felt like I was Harry Potter and you were all muggles. But then Herbert W. Armstrong, the one that would lead us to meet Jesus in the sky, he died. The trouble in my condition seems to be I just do not have enough blood. And my world splintered into a thousand tiny warring factions. Later, I felt certain that if Herbie had given us a potion to meet Jesus, a lot of us, in his worldwide church of God, we would have guzzled it down without a thought. And I knew that a lot of us could have ended up in a place like that San Diego mansion where a community destroyed itself in an attempt to find God. So I stared hard at that television in that bar, afraid to see a face I would recognize. Because even as everyone dismissed the wacky people, I felt like after a wrong turn or two, it could have been me in that San Diego mansion. To us, it would be suicide to not leave. So we are about to regain life. We want to point fingers at this crazy bug-eyed guy. We want to believe that He's the Pied Piper, that he's a monster. But they all killed themselves because he took control of them. How do you feel about what is ahead for us? Oh, this is the happiest day of my life. (laughs) I mean, I've been looking for this for so long. But they followed him with smiles on their faces, grateful, joyous, at peace. 
somebody on the other side of this camera watching this tape would probably say, you're, you're deluded or you're brainwashed or whatever. From our perspective, this is the answer to everything. One of the scariest questions inside Heaven's Gate is this. When you give your trust to someone, when you join their world and fall into it, how can you tell when it's turned poisonous? How can you know that now, now is the moment I have to get out or all is lost? And now 20 years later, I need to know what happened. In this series, I'm trying to answer those questions and I gotta tell you, I hear some incredible stories along the way, but know this, it could have been me, it could have been you. Coming up on Heaven's Gate. Testing. This is do-do-do-do-do. I don't think they were brainwashed. I think they believed what they believed. And that's what makes this so hard. If I could believe that they were brainwashed, it would be easier to just blame the two. She and I were outside at night, and we saw this light in the sky that appeared to move in different directions. I just felt so hopeless. And then this little flash popped inside my brain. said, oh yes, there are people who know what you're experiencing. And I actually jumped up from the chairs like, oh my gosh, of course, how can I find these people? Uh, if you would uh, print in your newsletter, the names of those parents who will promise not to kidnap family members or keep them from doing what they want to do. I'll promise you that most of these parents will hear from their loved ones pretty quickly. I just felt an overpowering love for Erica and reached out and gave her a hug. That was the first time we had touched in years. I must say it was really a pleasure going cross country with Gail. It was a lot of fun. She's a good traveling buddy of mine. I'll go anywhere with her anytime. And, uh, what do you think, Gail? Did you have a good time? Yep, I had lots of fun, but I'm glad to be home. That was a mass murder. One suicide, him. She said, Terry, do not let them know who this is from. It is especially that network woman, Nancy Brown. She is not to be trusted. Doe was really upset, and uh, he said, uh, he said I've, done, I've done a horrible thing. He says, take me to the police. And Liv Odie and Jan Odie and I, we said, no way. He said, we'll take care of it. She was Applewhite's puppet. He pulled the strings, and they did what he wanted them to do. Oh, when you coming home? I don't know, probably never. Skate is produced by Stitcher in collaboration with Pineapple Street Media. Our team includes Ann Hepperman, Barry Finkel, Diane Hodson, Josh Gwynn, Osa Sector, Jess Hackle, Ben Zeller, Dan Taberski, Peter Clowney, Casey Holford, Jenna Weisberman, Max Linsky, 
and Chris Bannon. I'm your host, Glenn Washington. Suddenly, that's a media event. Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.